Amen. Thank you, Scott and worship team for that amazing time and God, uh, yeah, for your personal testimony there. Welcome back. Um, my name's John Abel, and uh, I want to introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my family and I have been coming to Northwest since Christmas Eve service of 2011, and we have really gotten plugged in. This church to us has been like a family, and we always said when we moved here from Maryland, you know, we were from North Carolina originally, lived in Maryland for a few years, and you know, when we got back here and we're looking for churches, we said we wanted to go to church with our neighbors. And Northwest for us has been that place. Uh, it's been a great community church. And so, um, yeah, thank you for being a part of our community and for being here with us this morning. Really appreciate the opportunity to share from God's word with you this morning. Um, and a little in line with what Scott shared, uh, I really feel it's important for me and for us to prepare our hearts this morning for what God might be wanting to say to us through his word. And, and I feel like in order to do that, we just have to acknowledge that we're all coming from a different place this past week, uh, whether that's from a busy work week, a busy school week, a busy week work at home, whatever it might be, we've seen headlines, we've seen news feeds and Facebook and Twitter and just things going on in our world, in our community here and our country at large. And, and I can imagine if you're like me that there's a certain amount of anxiety or just your mind is in a million places right now. And um, This is parenting, Scott. <laughs> you get emotional. Um, but I want to just ask you to just take a minute with me to bow your head. Uh, I want to read a couple verses that have been significant to me over this last week um, that have helped me quiet my heart in preparation for today. Uh, so just if you would, just please bow your head. I'm going to read a few verses and I'm going to pray for us and just ask God to um, really move through us this morning. So, so will you bow with me? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. John 16, 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have said these things to you that you may ha <clears throat> that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Father God, I want to confess to you that amidst all of the chaos that is the world that we live in, Lord, that it is common for me to have anxiety over life and, and the weight of responsibility as a parent, uh, Lord, and coming before you this morning and just saying, your, your word says that we can have peace if we bring all, all, all our anxieties to you. And Lord, I'm praying right now for, for myself and for this congregation that we would just lay our anxieties aside, that we would rest in your peace that you say surpasses all understanding, 
Lord, we know that you came not to steal, not to kill, not to destroy, but you came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Lord, this morning we are asking for your Holy Spirit to be with us in this place, to give us your peace, to open our hearts and our minds, to quiet them so that we can hear your still small voice, to hear from what your word would say and have us take away from it, Lord. So may it not be my words this morning, may it be your words, and Lord, thank you for what you are doing here in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've not been with us, or maybe you have along this series, we're, we're in the Ten Commandments in Exodus. And today we're going to be focused specifically on the Eighth Commandment. And it's only four words, so the scripture reading, you're, you're welcome to turn uh, to Exodus 20.15, or you can look in the Worship Center app, but it's, it's four words. You shall not steal shall not steal. And so as I was preparing for this morning, I thought, well, I can pretty much go up there and say you shall not steal and get off the stage. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? Um, and then I started thinking about it and, you know, wanted to just do a quick poll of the audience and get your participation, actively engage you. I want to see a show of hands. Who here has ever been stolen from? Raise them high. I'll do the opposite. Is there anyone here who's never been stolen from? Raise it even higher so I can see. Is there anybody who's never been stolen from? Not seeing any hands. So that's, that's actually interesting. I expected maybe at least one. Well, I want you to think for a minute how you felt in that moment. Perhaps it was a sense of helplessness or personal loss. Maybe you felt your privacy had been violated or you were angry. Um, yeah, I can share a couple personal examples. I remember when I was young, probably six years old, I uh, woke up, came downstairs in the morning, and the police were in our house, and our back door was open. It's kind of rainy outside, and our TV was missing, and a few other things around the house were disheveled, and my parents were kind of talking with the police. And as it turns out, uh, we had been broken into in the middle of the night while we slept, and they stole our TV. And this wasn't like the flat panel TVs that are nice and light. I mean, this is one of those big old honking TVs, and I'm like, looking back, it's like, what were they doing, thinking that, uh, I don't even know what they, what they would have gotten for that at that time, but the reality of it was, it was very scary as a child and even as an adult to think of someone creeping around your house while you're sleeping and stealing. Another example, as an adult, we were visiting my, we lived in Maryland, we were visiting my parents in North Carolina, and uh, I actually, interestingly enough, I woke up in the middle of the night, the night before we were going to drive back, about two in the morning, and God just, I feel like, was stirring me. And he said, you know, I felt this voice just saying, what would you do if your car was stolen? It just woke me up. So we're driving back, and we pull around the corner to our townhouse. And in front of our house, my car was gone. <laughs> so I call a friend of mine. I said, hey, just uh, check in. Any case you borrowed our car, you know, we knew they had our house key. Because uh, if you didn't, I'm getting ready to call the police. And sure enough, my car had been stolen. They found it a couple weeks later. The engine and transmission had been taken out of it. And it was a, it was a total loss. Um, you know, I've had credit cards taken, you know, you see a charge on your credit card for X amount of dollars at some random store and you just go, not again. You have to call them, cancel it, change, you know, all your numbers everywhere you've got it. And it's just a real pain. And so I think it's probably not hard for us to all see the harmful effects that stealing has on us personally and our society at large. And on the surface, as we look at the commandment, you shall not steal you know, it's interesting that even non-Christians would probably agree with us on that one, right? And in fact, 
um, as Christians, we may look at that commandment and, and, and say, well, at least that's one that I haven't personally broken, or I'm not tempted on a daily basis when I think of stealing, you know, it's not one that I struggle with. So we may be quick to try and just dismiss this commandment and say, no, I'm good. At least one of those I can kind of thumbs up every day. That's not something that I struggle with. But as we've seen with God's commandments, they are more than just a checklist for us. In fact, they're more than just a list of things that we should not do. Um, And so if you're following along, with the Worship Center app. I've got the outline in there. We're going to actually focus on three main topics this morning. First, I just want to take a look and define what is stealing and what is God's perspective on it. And then once we understand that, we're going to then take some time to do some self-reflection. As with any time we read God's Word, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves deep and heartfelt probing questions. And so there's a few I've got in the Worship Center app, like, am I a thief? And what is my root issue? And then lastly, I want to spend some time reflecting on, based on that, what does God want me or what does God want us to do? And, and really, this is for each of us individually, where, where you are, whether at home or if you're here with us today, to, to personally reflect on what is God telling you that you should do? Not what is John Abel telling you to do, but what is God telling you in your heart that you should do? So let's jump right in. So stealing defined. Might as well start with the dictionary, even though most of us probably know what stealing is, but dictionary defines it as taking the property of another without permission or right, especially especially secretly or by force. In my terms, simply put, taking something that's not yours. In legal terms, it's defined as larceny, and I probably don't have to pull up the North Carolina criminal law, Article 14, or Article, sorry, Chapter 14, Article 16, to read it to you for you to really know that if you walk into Lowe's Foods down the street, and leave with a gallon of milk and bread that you didn't pay for, that that's considered stealing. And it is, in fact, illegal in North Carolina. Most of us probably know that, right? Um, And I think this is a result of God's moral law. You don't have to be a Christian, really, to feel that sense of wrong by doing that. In fact, most societies, if you look around the globe, have some sort of law against stealing. As I was thinking about this, one of the earliest examples that I could think of in Scripture is the story of Adam and Eve. So as we're looking at this concept of stealing. So let's rewind back into the Old Testament in Genesis. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. So, so as you know, God creates everything, the heavens, earth. He creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them the garden and the dominion over it. And he says, I want you to rule this. However, God also tells them one thing. He says, I'm giving you all of this. It's yours. But there's one thing that I'm telling you that is not yours, and I'm telling you not to eat of the fruit of this particular tree. So I think Adam Eve probably got the memo. This is all ours. That's God's. We're not to touch that. And Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he kind of questions that. He says, did God really tell you that that wasn't yours? Did he really say that? And they start to doubt God's goodness. They start to doubt that God really has their best interest in in mind and at heart. And so ultimately what happens? They take the fruit, they eat of it, and disobey God, ultimately stealing. And so when God comes back on the scene, they're hiding, they're in shame, they feel that sense of, we really messed up here. And of course, they are now able to sense that they're naked and you know they feel shame and all these things that are a consequence of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and God ultimately, because of that, there's a curse. There's a curse and a promise. 
but that is our state as we come here today. We are a part of that fallen and broken world as a part of that first sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, to take something that wasn't theirs. So I think it's important for us to then look at, well, well what does God think of stealing? And, and probably the most obvious one that I thought of was, well, it's number eight on his top 10 list, so it's probably a pretty big deal for him. Um, you know, I think we can all probably assume because he says not to do it that he doesn't like it. But in Proverbs 11.1, 1, you don't have to turn there, but it says, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. And, and this is dating back to a time when they would measure out silver with rocks and the rocks would be labeled with particular weights. So you'd come in and you want to get your silver measured and kind of, if the person was dishonest, they would have a weight that said, oh, this is 10 kilograms of, of silver, but maybe it was only really, you know, at, you know, maybe it was, maybe, maybe the weight was really wrong and it was actually 11, you know, so that they're getting the benefit of that deal, right? So they're going to make out on that transaction. It was dishonesty, but it was ultimately stealing from you. If you came in, they're taking something that's really not rightfully ours. It wasn't just. And so God says, Lord says, it says the Lord detests that. I look at Luke 19:46. So this is Jesus and the money changers in the temple. He comes on the scene and he sees what's being done to the people in his father's house and he's he's angry. And he makes a whip and he goes in and he turns over the tables and he gets them out and he says to them, "You den of robbers." Now he doesn't mince words. I think it's not considered a compliment. He's pretty harsh with them, but he's seeing the dishonesty. Maybe they had dishonest scales, but, but Jesus being God abhors and detests stealing. And so clearly we should probably be able to see that stealing is wrong, has bad consequences. Um, but is it enough for us just to acknowledge and say, yeah, stealing's wrong. Like I'm good. You know, like it says in the 10 commandments, stealing's wrong. Everybody knows that. Uh, well, we see in scripture that God doesn't just look at our outward appearance. He looks at our heart. And I think it's important for us, and this is where we're going to do a little self-reflection in light of that, to see, okay, there may be more to this than just the surface of not stealing, of not taking someone else's things. So I've got a little fill-in-the-blank question here. Uh, feel free to yell it out. So as we self-reflect this morning, Someone who steals is called a, a thief, right? So I think it's important for us to ask ourselves that question. Am I a thief? And in order to help us kind of unpack that, I'm going to give a couple of common examples and just see, like, just self-reflect. You don't have to raise your hand, but just right where you are, see if you resonate with any of these. So starting with the really young toddler age kiddos, probably all been there where you see a toy in a room, one of them picks it up, and you can see where this is going to go. And the other one goes, wow, that's a nice toy. I don't know what they're really thinking, but they walk up, grab it out of the other kid's hand, right? And the other kid's probably like, oh, that's cool. We'll go ahead and have that toy. Now, most likely there's going to be some sort of conflict that's going to ensue, right? When someone takes something that you have, some conflict will happen, right? So, so maybe that was you and you just don't remember it. But most likely we've probably all been there and done that. All right, for kids who are in school or college, maybe it's in the form of taking someone else's idea, or their homework, or an answer on a test. Uh, how about this one? Has anyone here ever been guilty of extended borrowing? A friend's tool, or maybe some clothes, or maybe a 
a rerun of The Office that you haven't returned yet, and it's been a month, a year, a decade, how long does it have to go before that's considered stealing? I guess that's up to your friend if they're still your friend, but um, yeah. How about adults here, if you've filled out your taxes and, you know, of course they want to know all these different numbers and some of those are maybe a little bit on the honor system. You know, how many charitable contributions, for example, did you make here, that or the other? And so um, perhaps you felt the temptation to steal from what is rightfully the government's per our law, right? Uh, how about time theft? This is one that, as I was looking into it, Time theft is defined as basically deliberate or excessive breaks or personal time while you're on the job. And in fact, there's a research group where the Robert Half Personnel Agency says that this will cost the American economy somewhere near $70 billion. I don't even know how they estimate this, but the idea that you have people who are supposed to be productive and working that are actually just kind of chilling around the water cooler, hanging out with employee, other employees and not really being productive and, and doing that. So, so that's another form of stealing, stealing from our employer. How about this one? Stealing the credit that's due God. How often in our lives have we done something or we've seen God move and done something in our lives and then we may originally go, oh man, that was totally a God thing. But over time, it's like, man, look what I did. That was awesome. You know, we fill in the blanks with our own name and not give God the credit that he deserves. You know, I think about this reflection of, am I a thief? There's another example in scripture where I think God's pretty clear what that looks like. And it's in, you don't have to turn there, but Malachi 3, 6 through 12. In fact, the whole topic of this is robbing God. So it's like, well, we should probably read that one. So it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O, Jacob, o children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But how, you say, shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But how, you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the heaven, the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here specifically, this is the nation of Israel and God's kind of calling them out and saying they haven't been honoring him with their tithes. Well, what is a tithe? You've probably heard this in the church terminology. It's back to kind of the Levitical law. It's a tenth. It literally means a tenth. And God said, as I take you out of this nation of Egypt, you're gonna give me a tenth of everything that you have, whether that's sheep, whether that's fruit, whatever the land produces. And it was really to be given back to God, to really acknowledge and honor him as the one who had provided all of that for them. But it seems like they had fallen out of practice and so they were under a curse. And God says, show me that you can obey and I will open up the floodgates of heaven. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, yeah, we're in the New Testament. Maybe we don't necessarily, we're not under the Levitical law or tithe, but do we honor God with everything that he's entrusted us with, specifically our, our, our finances? And we'll talk a little bit more about this later. And then I want you just to sit there and stop and think, given all of these things, and maybe you can think of other examples, have you ever stolen something? And you don't have to raise your hand here, but I want you to think about that question. You know, if you answered yes, and I imagine that many of us probably did, well, that means that we're thieves. And most likely you are here a thief among thieves. 
And to be honest, that whole point of realization is why God's law exists, to point us to our own insufficiency to keep it perfectly. We are guilty of breaking God's law. And that's ultimately, as you know, the bad news, right? We are sinners. In fact, the Bible says no one has kept the law perfectly, only Jesus. And the law points us to our need for Christ. It says in Romans 7, 7, I had not known sin, but by the law. The law points us to our need for Christ. So perhaps we've established for most of you, maybe not all, um, that we are thieves. So, so what, why am I a thief? What motivates stealing? Well, we have the heart of a thief because we inherited it from Adam and Eve, ultimately. And in our current culture, our circumstances can kind of influence what that looks like and how it plays out. I'll give you an example from a recent doctor visit that I had for kind of my annual physical, and I had to fill out a kind of a pre exam form, and there were a number of questions on there on kind of your mental health, and got to a part where it was all talking about food insecurity. It was asking, you know, in the last 12 months, have you ever felt like you didn't have enough money to provide for your daily food needs? Or did you ever have a time where you either missed a meal or where you felt like you weren't going to have the next meal? And so I checked the box, no, no, no. But as I was doing that and thinking about preparing for today, there's probably people in our community who couldn't answer that, no, who may have struggled to make enough to provide for themselves or their family for that next meal. And so our circumstances can sometimes drive the temptations and how it plays out in our lives. In, in the case of if you are constantly worried about where your next meal is going to come from, then you might be tempted to walk into Lowe's Foods and leave with a loaf of bread and milk to provide for your family. In fact, on the surface, you could almost justify it. It's driven by my need to survive. Um, the other side of that is if you're wealthy, maybe the temptation to steal for your daily survival isn't there, if you've answered no to all those questions. So, so you're not sitting there at a daily basis going, man, I really, I don't know, I might have to go into Lowe's Foods again. I keep using Lowe's Foods, I'm sorry. I yeah, might have to go into Harris Teeter and, and take a loaf of bread. Um, you may not struggle with that, but perhaps you struggle in, in another way. Perhaps as someone who has enough, you struggle with trusting God with maybe what to do with those resources. Maybe you're even robbing God with them, as it says in scripture. Um, whatever the case may be and whatever we see on the surface as why we steal, I would submit to you that there's deeper things going on in our hearts. I want to take some time to unpack that. No matter what our motivation, in God's eyes, stealing is wrong. He's very, very clear about that. And, and as I said, I think stealing is a symptom of a much deeper issue. So what is our root? What is my root issue? I would submit to you that it's a heart issue. And I would submit to you that it all kind of plays out in the following question. Do we really trust that God is good? Do we really trust that he has a plan? Do we trust that he will provide everything that we need? Do we trust that God wants what's best for us? You can personalize that. Do I trust that God wants best for me? 
You see, I oftentimes think I find myself or we may find ourselves wrestling with thoughts like, well, I just needed. This is that kind of desperation clause where it's like everything's justified because I need something or, or, or I just wanted that, you know? Or, you know, they won't miss it. They have tons of stuff. If I take that or whatever, you know, whatever that might look like, no one will know. That could be another thing. In our minds, we're sitting here thinking we're justified. God will never see that. You know, he doesn't really care. The reality of it is, though, I think we all have trust issues at the core of our heart. You see, Adam and Eve, they did not trust that God had their best interest at heart. In fact, they, they were able to be manipulated by the serpent and ultimately exposed in them their lack of trust. And so they took matters into their own hands. They said, huh, maybe God doesn't have what's best for me. I'm going to take that fruit and I'm going to eat it because I think that's what's best. So they stole. And you see how that plays out. You know, when they doubted God's plan and took matters into their own hands, now under a curse, they were separated from God and I think if we're honest, which I'm asking for each of us to allow God to open our hearts to that honesty this morning, is I think we can all relate to Adam and Eve in some way in not fully trusting God in, in certain situations. So if you're sitting here this morning, probably thinking, okay, so I'm a thief who has trust issues in the core of my heart, and ultimately I'm guilty of breaking God's perfect law. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Well, you see, God knew that we wouldn't be able to keep his perfect law. So he made a way for us. He gave us his son. John, in John 3.16, it talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever might believe in him would have eternal life, right? So he, he gave to us the answer to our problems. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. Because of God's gifts, we're free from the penalty of having broken his law. But there's a few things that we need to do to be kind of good there, right? First, we have to confess that we've broken his law. And then we have to repent. Repent just means to turn away from those things that we were doing. We need to turn away from breaking his law. And then accept that Jesus was really ultimately the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so in addition to Jesus paying our debt and providing us that forgiveness, he also demonstrates for us the way he wants us to live. You see, Jesus passed the test that Adam and Eve failed. When he was tempted by Satan to not fully trust in God, but to rely on his own power and to violate God's commands for worldly gain, Jesus perfectly resists the devil and gives honor to God. If you want to look that up later, it's Matthew 4, 8 through 10. You see, Jesus is our perfect example. And despite all that, some of you may still be sitting here today and go, you know what? You may be able to genuinely say you've never in your life stolen something. You may be quick to pass over this command and say, you know what, I'm good on this one. And whether or not you've stolen something, I think we need to look at this command and ask ourselves, what does God want me to do? And I thought of uh, an example. You know, if we ask ourselves the question, what is the opposite of stealing? Anyone? Giving. Yeah, the opposite of stealing is giving. And I was reminded of the story in uh, Matthew 19 of the rich young man. And I'm just going to read it. You don't have to turn there. But it's a story that Jesus tells. And it says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, <clears throat> Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. 
And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. The young man, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said to him, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So perhaps like some of us, this young man, when he looked at the law, specifically do not steal, he goes, yeah, I'm good. I've kept that command. And he even takes that to Jesus, almost in a self-righteous way. And I think Jesus's response to him is very telling. He says, okay, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. See, too often I think we focus on what not to do, in this case, not stealing. And each command, there's the kind of the implication as we've been learning about, well, well what should I do in this case? Well, in the case of do not steal, the implication is that we should be giving. And so we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. So looking at this example, you might say, well, is the answer for this question of what does God want me to do that we all leave here, sell everything we have and give it to the poor? Maybe God's convicting you to do that, but I'm not necessarily, I'm not going to tell you to do that. Uh, and, and here's why. You see, Jesus' answer to the rich young man was a response to his own self-righteousness. I, I find it hard to believe that anyone could say, I've kept all these commands. I mean, and, and maybe he had really been self-righteous. But see, Jesus said the law is not just what we're not doing. It's about so much more than that. It's not based on our works either, our salvation. So, so it was almost like, what must I do to get into heaven? And basically, Jesus is painting a picture that there's nothing you can do. It's impossible. And that's what I'm here for. I'm the only one who has kept the law perfectly. If we acknowledge that we have broken God's laws and therefore are not perfect, um, then we've acknowledged that it's not about us. Our salvation is not workspace. And we're no longer living under that law of perfection. So that's the freeing part of being a Christian is that Yes, God has a moral law, but once we accept that Jesus has paid the penalty for all the things that we've messed up and will continue to mess up, we're, we're able to live in that freedom. So, so given the freedom then, what does God want us to do? And I know you're like, why does he keep saying, what does God want us to do? Well, I, I'm hopeful that you'll hear from God this morning what that is. Uh, there was a verse that my dad mentioned to me earlier this week that I thought actually provided a really good framework for this. It's Ephesians 4.28. And in there it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And if you break that verse down, it's really kind of simple. And I think it helps us assess what are we to do? Well, number one says, let the thief no longer steal. So we should probably stop stealing, right? As a first, that's a good place to start. And then it says to do honest work with our own hands. So find something that we can labor. When God charged Adam and Eve with dominion, it was, you know, work came before the fall. God had said, go work the fields and go, you know, that wasn't a part of the curse. We may think that some days when we go to work, that's a part of the curse. Oh, just because I live in a fallen world, I have to work. But no, God wants us to work. He wanted us to work before the fall. So find something to do. And then why do we work? Well, one of the reasons is, and it says here, so that we may give and share with anyone in need. 
And I think each of us needs to assess what God may want, be wanting us to hear today in that regard. You see, God doesn't need our money. And in fact, in reality, is it really even our money? If you think about it, God created everything. And just because in the garden they may not have had dollars and they may not have had computers and electronic bank accounts and 401ks, that doesn't mean that that's not a result of all the things that God has done. And so in reality, if it's all God's and it was created by him, then we're not owners of anything that we have. We've been given, we've been entrusted. We're stewards of God's resources. And so God knows that we have a connection with our earthly possessions and, and they can have a hold on our heart. And in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. From this verse, it's kind of clear that God wants us to see that our true treasures are in heaven. So therefore, we should be generous with what he's given us in this present life. Another example is from 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, God wants us to give because as Ryan said earlier, we are his image bearers and he's a giver. And God doesn't want us to give under compulsion or obligation. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should consider or give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The important takeaway here is God wants us to consider and decide in our heart what it is that we should give. And he doesn't want us to do it out of obligation or compulsion. But cheerfully, he wants us to have a heart for giving. So practically speaking, this is where I think self-reflect, just where you're, right where you are, I think, do you spend time considering how to give? You know, I know I personally, we spend a lot of time, probably as a culture, thinking about how to save and spend on cars, houses, fun vacations, 401k, how we're going to retire, hobbies, but how often do we incorporate generous giving into our planning? How often do we actually make that a priority for ourselves? Something I think we, we need to think about. So, as we, And I know I'm going a little long, but um, so what does God want us to do? He wants us to be image bearers of his rich generosity. You know, there are needs all around us, and God blesses us, not so we can kind of take it and do like this with it and keep it all to ourselves, but he really wants us to hold it with an open hand. And realize that it's all his to begin with. It's not about a tenth. It's not about 20%. It's not about 100%. It's about what needs exist out there that I can take and with an open hand allow God to be flowing through me with his generosity and to be a true image bearer of what that looks like. So to wrap it up, 
We've explored the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. We've looked at one of the earliest examples and the consequences. This was our story from Genesis with Adam and Eve. And hopefully through self-reflection today, we've taken an honest look at our own lives and seen that we've not perfectly kept the eighth commandment. And in just as the rich young ruler found out, even if we think we have, we haven't done it perfectly. In our hearts, we have trust issues. We, like Adam and Eve, struggle with trusting that God knows what's best and will provide for us. And frankly, we can be tempted to take for ourselves. We can be tempted to steal. But we're not without hope. Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven for our stealing and to be free from, to do so much more than just be not thieves. God doesn't want us <clears throat> to live our lives just focusing on what not to do. He wants something for us. God wants us to be generous. He wants us to be true image bearers. And so, Ben, you're feel free to uh, come up. I, there's three questions that I put in the Worship Center app that I just want to leave you with today as you self-reflect maybe later this week or later today. First question is, will you put your trust in God today that he has your best interest at heart? Not trusting in your earthly possessions or money, but in God to provide all that you need. Second question is, will you seek opportunities to be generous to others, to put generosity into your personal financial planning? And lastly, will you seek to give God the credit and glory that he deserves? Not to look at all that you have as something that you've done, that you've earned, but ultimately to look at it as something that God has blessed you with and therefore has would like for you to bless others with. Will you please uh, bow your heads with me as I, as I pray? Father God, thank you for this time this morning to open your word. We know that your, your word never returns void and that it can pierce our souls. We ask that you would convict each of us, um, Lord, maybe where we are tempted to steal. Lord, maybe where we're not being fully generous with what you've entrusted to us, maybe where we have a tight fist around the things that you've given to us. Lord, would we acknowledge that you are a giver, and because of that, you want us to be generous givers. Lord, I pray this morning that your word would do its work in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit would empower us not to live under compulsion, not to live under a works-based religion where we feel we have to give in order to get and gain something. No, it's not what it is at all, God. It's all about being generous because you've been so generous. As it says in scripture, we love because you first love. We give because you first gave, God. Lord, I thank you for this time um, and thank you for what you're gonna do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.